0: Welcome back to The Kevin Roberts Show. This week, we're going to confront the ugly reality of big tech's ever-tightening grip on our lives, on our speech, our politics, and even our commerce, and we're going to talk about how we can push back. Later, we'll also talk about some exciting grassroots activism, a new feature on this show, because really, what we do in the nation's capital, the Devil City, is a lot less important than what you do where you are. But first, if this is your first time watching please be sure to subscribe to the show. Each week, we're diving into the issues that matter to you with voices from across the conservative movement. Yes, we interview some people who are based here in the nation's capital, mainly to give you a sense of having some hope that there are some of us here in the devil city who actually agree with you and are kind of representing you with what you believe in. However, we really want you to be inspired to help take this country back. So while there are lots of threats of freedom or to freedom abroad, one here at home is huge and it's big tech. You know, one of my complaints, having been on this job just a few months, is that there's a lot of complaining about big tech, but not a whole lot of solutions. Well, that's where the Heritage Foundation comes in. But first, as I like to do before we get into how we're going to solve a problem, let's just call a spade a spade and say that big tech is the enemy of the people. They target content if they don't agree with it. They label it misinformation, even if it's like you and me being very careful about what we say on social media because we don't want to sound like a kook, like a conspiracy theorist. If it's conservative, they want to get rid of it. So if you're a pro-lifer, if you believe that for many election cycles, not just 2020, there's been a problem with election integrity. If you believe that maybe we should ask some serious questions about climate change or if you think that perhaps this terrible cross that some of our brothers and sisters have to bear gender dysphoria is something that has been turned into an extreme agenda that isn't about them but it's about taking away our freedoms our freedom to say what's right and what's true and frankly what's loving for them then you need to pay attention to what we're talking about in this episode you see the big tech companies like to talk about free speech They rely on it in their business model. They rely on certain exceptions in the law to even be in business. And yet, when you and I as conservatives say anything that they happen to disagree with, our free speech doesn't exist on their platforms. So much so... As we pointed out in a recent Heritage paper, that we are 20 times more likely just regular right of center Americans to have our free speech censored by big tech than someone left of center. And if you're a member of Congress, you're 90 times more likely to have your free speech censored by big tech. If you're a conservative than if you're a liberal, this is supposed to be America. This is why Heritage has decided we've got to change this. But let me continue. Recently, I was spending part of a Saturday morning with the new CEO of Parler, a great British guy, and he was complaining that he thought, as he was growing up in Britain, that doing business in America would be the freest environment that he could ever participate in. And yet, what happened to Parler? This was an issue of Google and Apple kind of behind the scenes taking away their ability to operate, something that they will probably recover from, but it will take years, They also removed Ryan Anderson's book from Amazon. Ryan, as you may know, is a longtime colleague here at Heritage, a close friend of mine, doing great work. And all he's doing is, as a social scientist, exploring the truth about some problems in American society. And look, this is the point. Let's just say that you disagree with everything that Ryan Anderson says. Why in the world would you want to censor it? If, in fact, you're so confident in your opinion about what he has to say, wouldn't you want people to read it so that you can explain why he's wrong? This is supposed to be America. Well, some of this is sort of personal, too, because the Heritage Foundation and the Daily Signal, because, you know, we try to tell the truth. We have also experienced this kind of censorship on YouTube. Of course, it doesn't keep us from continuing to do that. But let me tell you what the biggest problem is. It isn't just that what big tech is doing in terms of censorship is problematic, it's that they're doing it in collusion with the federal government. So if you want to talk about real collusion in modern American history, that's the collusion. The White House, the Surgeon General, others have directly called on big tech to censor us, you and me. There used to be a time when I was a young teacher and I was teaching George Orwell that I thought it was fiction that we would ever have Orwellian practices in America. But here we are in 2022, my friends, and it is happening. This is not hyperbole. It's not exaggeration. It's what you and I are living through each day. So much so, we have to adjust what we say on social media to do it. And just consider me offended, given the hypocrisy that we're going to deplatform. A sitting president of the United States. And frankly, it doesn't matter if you voted for him or you didn't, if you love him or you hate him, we shouldn't be deplatforming a sitting president of the United States, while also to this very moment, as I mention this to you, that the Taliban and the president of Russia still have their accounts on Twitter. And I haven't even begun to talk about Big Tech's role in the elections, You know, there's this little-known guy with this little-known laptop, Hunter Biden, and we now know, of course, that there's some real truth behind the Hunter Biden laptop story. That's the conversation for another day, but I just want to cite a couple of statistics from a recent poll that we have analyzed. Nearly 5% of Biden voters would have changed their minds about who they voted for in 2020 had they known about Hunter Biden's laptop easily enough to change the outcome in swing states. That's not election conspiracy theory. This is 5% of Biden voters telling us that this is a news clip, a news story that they would have benefited from knowing more about. Also, we recently saw in a poll a couple of weeks ago that just more than half of Americans believe Facebook, Twitter, and other social media sites censorship of that story constituted interference in the election. Now, I'll just permit myself a brief moment to observe the contrast between that censorship, that deleting of that story, versus the real story, of course, in that election, which was that big tech and government and frankly, left of center campaigns were colluding against free speech. But here we are, after the election, 14 months into the worst presidency in American history, and I don't say that lightly. And we have a lot of problems confronting us. One of them goes beyond this conversation we've had about big tech censorship. And it's what I would call the the sort of next phase, the implementation of all of this, because the left has gotten away with this censorship. And it's the practice of debanking. You know, we we heard about this recently, as I'll talk about in a moment, with the trucker convoy in Canada, but this was already well underway. I I think about my oil and gas friends in Texas, in Louisiana, New Mexico, and Oklahoma, and I'm not talking about the fat gat oil and gas guys who are Fortune 10 CEOs. I'm talking about independent producers who are self-made men and women who were already being debanked. They couldn't do business at certain banks because of what? because they happen to provide the energy that you and I, oh, and ironically, the big tech companies rely on. Of course, there's an example there from the firearms industry. There's just a score of examples of freezing individual citizens' bank accounts when they protest against the government. I would love to tell you that this is sort of slowing down, but in fact, it's accelerating. And obviously, in the last month, we saw this in a significant way when a group of truckers in Canada traveled to make sure that the prime minister of Canada, who's a bit of a hair conditioner model, shall we say, tell him to check his privilege and to make sure that Canadian regulations regarding the COVID shutdown would end. Regardless of what you believe about that particular question, I would think that you and most Canadians and most Americans would find it unconscionable that that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau would ask banks and finance platforms to take away the access of those truckers to their money, as well as their own truckers. But the question we need to be asking, now that that episode is behind us, is what's keeping that from happening here in the United States? Or maybe I should say, what's keeping it from happening in a more significant way, because we know that it's already occurring. Couple that with what we know is going on in communist China which is the implementation over several years of what's called a social credit system, the, the system by which the Chinese Communist Party, those who, of course, up give themselves power that only their people should have, are able to designate a certain amount of freedom based on, frankly, how loyal you are to their crazy, evil regime. It used to be, as recently as a year or two ago, that when I talked about China's social credit system possibly arriving in America, that some people would kind of furrow their brows, they would ask some hard questions, and some of them probably said that I was engaging in conspiracy theory. But this is happening right now. We know this for some of you who participate in donor-advised funds, if you're doing that with Fidelity, with some other large financial systems, you already know that they're tightening the screws on the recipients to whom you may give those gifts. This is precisely what we're talking about. And this is precisely why, as we think about the midterm elections this year, we ought not just be concerned about conservatives winning those elections, but that when they come into power, that they actually take action against this kind of abrogation of our freedom. So to sum up here, big tech is the enemy of the American people. We've got to hold them accountable. And Heritage has provided the roadmap by which we can do so. We, of course, as has been discussed for the better part of a couple of years, need to adjust so-called Section 230 reforms. It's a limited part of federal law, which basically provides immunity from, from litigation for these big tech companies. But what Heritage is arguing for is that we have to be much bolder than that. We have to make sure that these CEOs of big tech companies are held personally responsible for the decisions that they are making. And although it pains us at Heritage to have to invoke this tool, we also believe that this is one of those rare instances in American history when we may need to use antitrust legislation to hold these companies accountable. And the reason is not because we want to overdo interference by the government in the free market, but because we recognize that these big tech companies are changing the way we operate as a people. They are undermining civil society. So we look forward to making those changes along with your help. And ultimately, all of those are designed to answer the following question. How do we avoid a future where big tech has such tight control over our lives? I mean, our daily lives, what we say, how we operate, how we interact with one another. What does living in a free country look like in an age where our lives have become more and more integrated with the digital space? Joining me in a few minutes to dig deeper into this topic is a great patriot, a young patriot, Eric Fenman, an entrepreneur who became a millionaire as a teenager while building a multimillion-dollar cryptocurrency company. Eric's one of those guys that we've seen in American history, thankfully, many times who said, the man's trying to get me to do X. I'm going to do the opposite of X, and I think America is going to be better off as a result. You see, as you may know... Cryptocurrency has become a target for government regulators. As I sit here in Capitol Hill, we have friends across the street, friends across the street, who are talking about regulating cryptocurrency. Why? Because they want to regulate one of the great promises that will restore freedom in the digital space. But first, before we get into that, we're going to get a brief breakdown from one of our experts in big tech and the threat of debanking and a social credit system here in the United States. Here's our very own Kara Frederick, a former Facebook analyst and a research fellow in our Center for Technology Policy.
1: I'm Kara Frederick at the Heritage Foundation. I helped create and lead the counterterrorism analysis team in global security at Facebook headquarters in Menlo Park, California. What I learned from being in the belly of the beast of Silicon Valley is that these companies have so many resources at their fingertips, but they're primarily concerned with three things their bottom line, growth at all costs, as well as their brand and reputation. What they're trying to do is protect these three things and all of the decisions that they make flow from these three priorities. Censorship is not just confined to social media. Look at banks with Chase Bank. Look at online fundraising platforms with Kickstarter. Look at email delivery services with MailChimp. All of these services are being withdrawn from people with conservative viewpoints put a foot wrong and you might find yourself unable to bank. Put a foot wrong and you're not going to be allowed to have your book advertised on Amazon's platform. Put a foot wrong and the movie that you've supported and made is not going to be able to be supported or even distributed among these services. So it's not just these social media platforms that are targeting conservatives for viewpoint and political suppression. It is an array of digital services that are slowly being withdrawn from individuals and organizations within America and constricting our daily lives that are taking on more and more digital characteristics. Every American, not just conservatives, should be concerned about this because right now they're coming for specific conservative viewpoints, but tomorrow they're gonna come for you. They've already got heterodox individuals and organizations in their crosshairs. Whatever doesn't conform to the progressive leftist ideology that's been blessed off by Hollywood, big corporations, the academy, and big government is going to be at risk. Conservatives are on the front lines and taking most of the blows from big tech. But regular Americans are people who just want to have a business on Instagram, people who just want to get their message out on Facebook. They are in the crosshairs of these big tech companies if their views don't conform to what is progressive leftist ideology.
0: Remember to subscribe to The Kevin Roberts Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And give the show a five-star rating while you're at it. Your ratings and reviews help us reach even more people with solutions for the biggest issues, like big tech, facing America. Stay with us. I'll be right back with Eric Finman.
1: President Lincoln once said, elections belong to the people. Here at the Heritage Foundation, we hold these words to be true. However, for elections to truly belong to the people, the people need to trust their results. That's where the Election Integrity Scorecard comes in. We created this tool so that citizens like you can rediscover the rules, regulations and overall transparency of voting in your respective state. Find the Election Integrity Scorecard on the Heritage Foundation's website at heritage.org slash election scorecard.
0: Well, Eric, thanks for joining us. It's such a pleasure to sit with you. We had some time together at CPAC several weeks ago. And backstage, we discovered that we wanted to continue the conversation. So here you are. A lot of questions for you, because even though you're still a relatively young guy, you're an expert on some things, especially involving cryptocurrency that people who look like me and my age have a lot to learn about. But before we get there, you were a millionaire as a teenager. How did Mm -hmm. that happen?
2: Yeah, well, I made a a uh, million dollar bet with my parents um, in exchange for uh, dropping out of high school. So um, when I was 15, I dropped out of high school, and uh, and part of that deal was uh, my parents said you had to make a million dollars by the time you were 18, otherwise you'd have to you know go to community college or college, and I didn't want to do any of it, whether it was Harvard or, or, or local, I grew up in Idaho, or local community college. And uh, I did it at age 18, I became the youngest Bitcoin millionaire, I had just surpassed million dollar mark towards the end of 18 so I I just made the line (laughs) what was the
0: reaction from your parents
2: Uh, it was it was amazing I mean I I actually think you know maybe maybe uh, maybe they're lying to me when they say this but they really believed I could do it Mm -hmm. and uh, and I that's what I so loved I, I feel like I I could have success in life because I feel like I had um, parents that really believed in me and really pushed me to do, you know, great and wonderful and amazing things.
0: Yeah, that says a lot about them. So you do this in cryptocurrency and and some people who watch this show will send me a note and say, be sure you define some terms. And so you (laughs) take cryptocurrency like everyone knows about it. but. Again, going back to people who look like me, it was only a few years ago that I actually knew what you were even talking about. So just sort of eighth grade level mm-hmm. for, for me and, and folks in the audience. What's cryptocurrency? What's blockchain? Why do we need to be informed about it?
2: So Bitcoin, uh, what's so beautiful about Bitcoin, I'll talk about the use case of Bitcoin. because mm. talking about how all the technology works, you lose people. And it's like describing you know how the internet all entirely works. It's what is the net? Uh, application of it, right. and I'd say what Bitcoin, what, what's applicable about Bitcoin is that it's on its own is completely unbannable, mm-hmm. and it's this whole alternative financial system. It's both kind of uh, you've got a Bitcoin wallet that's like a bank account, you've got a Bitcoin address that's like a username, um, and uh, and you've got Bitcoin itself, which is you know a currency, and uh, uh, and it's completely unbannable, uncancelable, and that's what's so amazing about it. Um, and if you look at a little bit of the history of Bitcoin, people had tried to start alternative uh, currencies even before Bitcoin. So in this mid-2000s, there was this thing called Liberty Dollar. And I was a, I was a weird kid because I, I was into alternative currencies um, and I actually have it. And it was basically going back to the silver and gold standard. So this guy, this it was a rich guy, he had all the silver stored in a warehouse and he would give people certificates on his own currency had like Ron Paul's face on it or something like that. But the government shut him down and put him in jail. And, uh, and anyone who tried to start something similar um, were also, you know, received the same fate. And that's why Bitcoin was invented. And blockchain technology, which is kind of, again, complicated, but the underlying technology that support Bitcoin, supports Bitcoin, um, it was invented for the purpose of being unbannable and uncancelable. And that's why the Founders Anonymous, because anyone who started an alternative currency back then was put in jail.
0: Interesting, so let's home in on blockchain for a moment. Mm -hmm. And this this really is a legitimate curiosity question by me, and I'm a policy guy, Mm -hmm. but there are several states that are trying to figure out how to cultivate investment in blockchain. Explain that, explain for for people who sort of read the news, they're they're policy people, they're watching this show, but they're really trying to understand, you're an expert, Mm
2: -hmm. help us. Uh, So yeah, so basically the underlying blockchain technology is, uh, it's actually not that complicated. It's just a, a, a string of data, a chain of data, and each block is a piece of data. Okay. So, um, so in relation to Bitcoin, each block in that chain of data is uh, is is just basically transaction data. So, for example, the Federal Reserve, you know, ACH transfers, etc. Mm-hmm. Again, this is a little complicated. Um, uh, you know, that that goes through the Fed, and they see, you know, if you're trying to transfer money, that actually not many people know that, but that goes through the Federal Reserve. Um, uh, and uh, and Bitcoin is similar. So, but... But, you know, in order to keep track of all the transactions, to make sure it's all consistent and the same, um, it has to be public. So it's basically just a public receipt of transactions. Um, and, uh, and people and what Bitcoin mining is, um, it's not actual physical mining. Um, basically, it's uh, uh, paying people a little bit in Bitcoin to verify and support the Bitcoin network, verify that these transactions are accurate. And it's just using a little bit of computer processing power uh, in the background of your computer. And some people get tons of computers. Um, But blockchain... Uh, 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 technology can also not just support a currency system and again it's kind of complicated um, a currency system but it can support um, things like uh, uh, like photo- photos um, so people create like a, a blockchain version of Dropbox where people can store their data in a way that's unbannable because okay. right now the government can go to Dropbox and shut them down and you lose all your data um, so hmm. some people uh, uh, something called Filecoin is trying to uh, uh, solve that problem so it's a way to store your data in the cloud Um, but without having it where it can be shut down or or in any way or canceled.
0: Well, and it's so crucial that you talk about being shut down because Mm -hmm. you've experienced that. And and I I want to follow up with that excellent analysis just now of a conversation with you about big tech and banking Mm -hmm. suppressing ideas and opinions that they don't agree with. Tell us, A, the experience you had with that and B, what other Americans can do to participate in fixing that problem.
2: Absolutely. So I mean, yeah. I mean, you look at uh, basically what the U.S. does to foreign countries like Iran, or what other Western countries do to countries like Iran, and, and this horrible, you know, kind of country doing horrible things, um, or horrible state, state and government doing horrible things, to be more accurate. Um, they're doing to their own people now, and you see uh, uh, the United States and and kind of the banking system is debanking uh, conservatives, um, uh, you know, former generals, uh, uh, normal people, um, political campaigns, um, and and conservative companies. Um, this happened to uh, a project um, I was involved in recently. Sold the company actually, uh, uh, called Freedom Phone. We got mm-hmm. complete. We made three and a half million dollars in eight hours. So Kanye, when he launched uh, his iPod competitor, he only made two million dollars in a day. We made three and a half million dollars in a day because we were trying to solve the uh, the banning of app stores mm-hmm. um, and what happened to Parler. Um, but we got debanked and depayment processored, and uh, and you know they froze all that money. For basically a whole year, which is horrible and can really hurt a company. Right. Um, and they're they're doing this uh, the United States and the financial system. Uh, and you saw what Canada did with the truckers mm-hmm. um, and everything there. Um, it's it's horrible. And basically, we have to, as a community of, of people that care about free speech and care about, you know, I, I think a free financial system that that you can actually run a business in or, or be an individual in. Mm-hmm. Um, you gotta have. You know i I think bitcoin um or or some form of decentralized financial technology because you can't you can't have a free society without a free financial system
0: that's crucial. I'm curious before I can move on mentally. Did you get your money back
2: um eventually, yeah, but after it, a year it took about a year yeah, but it's you owed it was kind of beside the point because uh, mm. I had to front all this money right because you had basically a pseudo three and a half million dollars in debt. F- to ship people phones. Right. So that, that was interesting, uh, you know, kind of to, to deal with. So, yeah, I had to sell some Bitcoin uh, in, order to, mm. uh, in order to front the money to be able to get people that the phones that they ordered. So basically it put me $3.5 million in debt, not really, but indebted to ship people phones yeah. for a year. Sure. And then, you know, eventually you get the money back, but they do that kind of on purpose just to, just to kind of mess with you yeah. So and cause you problems and slow you down. Um, and that's what even further affirmed, I mean, I got back into Bitcoin 2011, further affirmed my belief in Bitcoin and in cryptocurrency mm. um, because a customer wants to go to a business and exchange money and uh, people don't want the government or, or big Wall Street banks involved with that. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, uh, and But that doesn't exist today. Oh.
0: So when Canadian banks shut down, they debanked the the truckers in mm-hmm. Canada. That didn't surprise you in the least bit.
2: No, it didn't surprise me. And sometimes, uh, so, so Coinbase and a lot of uh, big crypto exchanges um, uh, also got shut down, and people blame Bitcoin for that, actually. Um, but it's not the case. So these, you had actually Kraken, which is one of the biggest crypto mm. exchanges uh, in the world. And he said, I support the truckers. But the government says they're going to throw us all in jail and fine us tens of millions of dollars um, if we don't shut you down. So don't use uh, a site like Coinbase or Kraken um, or, or other crypto exchanges that, where you don't have your own crypto stored on your computer. Uh, uh, because, you know we don't want to all go to jail and and we want to continue operating this an easy on-ramp for people to get into Bitcoin. Um, But Bitcoin got a little bit of a rep for that because people think, oh, that's just all of Bitcoin. But Mm -hmm. it isn't. If you, the only way that the truckers got money, and I talked to those communities, uh, uh, the only way that they ended up getting money in a real way was through Bitcoin and storing it, you know, between computers and hardware, um, not hosting it on on some website that can be shut down. So Bitcoin, um, help them in a way that that no other financial system could.
0: So, to give our our viewers hope, it, it sounds to me. Tell me if I'm mistaken that in fact these bad episodes, your episode, the episode with the truckers in Canada, has given you hope that there will we will see an accelerated move toward decentralized finance.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's 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 what I have hope for because I, I thought I remember back in the day. In the, you know, I guess I, I sound. Time has really passed. So you're mid starting 2010s. to sound like an old guy. <laughs> I know, I know. Time has passed. In the mid 2010s, people asked me, um, uh, uh, you know, like, what is the use of Bitcoin? Maybe other than as a potential investment um, in the United States. And I would say, well, you know, if, you, if the U.S. comes after after uh, its own people, you know, then that then that's a great use case for Bitcoin right? Um, But they're like, that's not going to happen. That hasn't happened for decades. You know, it's maybe only applicable in places like Venezuela, which is how a lot of people, it's the only way that they can get food. There's a story actually out where uh, they were ordering stuff, uh, groceries to a nearby country. They would take a boat to like uh, a nearby country, um, order something off Amazon or or groceries in some way with Bitcoin. um, and, uh, uh, And they would take a boat and bring food back to Venezuela. And then, but now these stories where that would only apply and Venezuela or third world countries are now applying to Canada Mm -hmm. and the United States where the government um, and these institutions that are in bed with the government um, are coming after its own people and doing what they would do to foreign countries now to individuals.
0: Yeah, so it seems like the, de- the move toward decentralized finance and all that entails, which, which you've summarized well, is the way it's the practical step that mm-hmm. someone watching this, their participation in is the practical step that they can take against something like China's social credit system being implemented here. But I want to ask you this question mm-hmm. pointedly. Am, am I being a conspiracy theorist when I talk about China's social credit system perhaps being implemented here by our own government?
2: I mean, you see that there's been talk about uh, about you know using even the credit score system, yeah. but not not using that just for evaluating your your, your financial history, but evaluating I guess uh, you know who you are as a person and whether that's good or bad. And I I, I totally think uh, there's a great show called Westworld where basically they it showed kind of a, a part of that show in season three was uh, it showed this social credit score implemented in the United States. Um, and people couldn't get jobs mm-hmm. if you didn't uh, uh, meet this. And it, it, I don't think it's very far off at all. And there's already been a lot of talk about just converting the current U.S. credit score system and starting to say, hey, you know, it shouldn't evaluate your full financial history. You know, people people uh, are more than that, you know, uh, and uh, we should encounter who you are as a person. In in uh, into that, and I think that's very scary. Um, and uh, in many ways, I think it's kind of somewhat unofficial. If you say the wrong thing, you get banned from social media. Yeah, that's right. If you uh, if you uh, are too high of a profile. Um, uh, let's say you're a former general uh, and you're saying the wrong thing you lose your bank account there's people actually in the United States that are just citizens that are banned from Visa and MasterCard Um, not just companies but individuals so they can't even use cards in any way they have to use cash so I think it's kind of unofficially already here uh, where, where you just Lose your bank account, uh, you lose access to to services, mm-hmm. um, and you lose access to you know the global town hall like Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. So, I think it's already here is ever increasing um, and uh, I, I don't know maybe uh, I think this is horrible to say but maybe it's slightly better to have you at least have a little bit more clarity if I do this uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get banned off Twitter I'll get I'll lose my bank account because right now there's even no system for that I mean yeah. all of it is horrible um, but it's there's no not even a lot of clarity on what even gets you banned off of these right. things and the solution is to not to create systems like using blockchain technology or Bitcoin or blockchain based social media networks that can't be banned, um, so you don't have to deal with any of Mm -hmm. this. um, And that's the real solution. And what's so great about the crypto community is they're very conservative and Republican-leaning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I think it, it was born out of these libertarian roots. I right. mean, I first heard about Bitcoin at like a, a Ron Paul event, um, and I was 12. It's <laughs> so fitting. Yeah, I know. It was so fitting. And uh, it's, uh, all of these people are young, uh, uh, young, smart, um, and conservative-leaning, and I think, you know, I, 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 I like to think I'm in between both of those worlds. Sure. And I always try to, Uh, Because I'm very... I love kind of conservative values and and, and politics, um, and yet I have that crypto roots, and I sure. try to bridge that gap when I can yeah. um, between those worlds because these crypto the crypto community they they need to get more involved in politics, um, and I think uh, there's a little bit of that you know there's some good organizations here and there some uh, but it's it's there's billions upon billions of dollars um, that are, are billions of billions worth of crypto yeah. um, that uh, are at stake if these people don't get involved in politics that's why I've tried to get a little bit Mm -hmm. more involved in politics um, but uh, it's t- such a tremendous opportunity for that kind of coalition alignment. Um, yeah. So that's, that's what I hope to do um, it, where I can. Um, Good. But, uh, but
1: anyway.
0: Well, Count Heritage is a partner on that, which, which might surprise some, but we're always thinking about not just the policy battles of the current year, but what are they going to be two, five, 10 years down the road? And I've learned so much by having three conversations with you <laughs> in the last five weeks, including this one. So last question for you, Eric, if you don't mind crystal ball question. Mm -hmm. But the crystal ball question for me is almost always, let's at least have some optimism in it. So Mm -hmm. crystal ball question, peer into your crystal ball, reveal for us what you see best case scenario in spite of the challenges, but because of people exercising their individual freedom.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I see, you know, in the future, I think it's inevitable, a coalition of, uh, of, of the crypto community, um, and, uh, and Republicans, Mm -hmm. um, creating, a uh, a world of not just going back to the Reagan times, which I love, um, and and or Eisenhower, or or whatever, um, but but building what Republican values and what crypto uh, uh, community values are is creating this new future and this new America, 21st century America, powered with just incredible technology, whether that be you know Tesla, SpaceX, blockchain technology, everything. And I just think that that if we can kind of get our get out of our own way as a country and as a people. People, um and not look towards the past all the learn from it uh, but but create an absolute beautiful f- future of of an America on the rise that is actually creating advanced new airports, going to Mars, electric cars, um, and and hybrid cars, and whatever, and and, and, and using this, the the talent that we have in this country, because we do have so much of it, more so than any other country in the world, we can do anything we want and set our minds to.
0: Well, that's a beautiful vision. I I agree with you wholeheartedly, and, and I know you won't mind because you said it, invoking Reagan here, that, of course, Reagan was president, a few decades ago. Mm-hmm. And, and, and nonetheless, there's a, a timeless comment he made, mm-hmm. which is really appropriate to what you just said. And it is that government is not the answer. Mm-hmm. It's the problem. And mm-hmm. if we can remember that, especially with this topic today, we'll be in great shape. Exactly. Well, Eric, I look forward to talking to you more, keeping up with you. Thanks for making some time for us. Thank you so much. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Eric Fenman's a great patriot. You'll be hearing more about him in the future, I'm sure. Stay tuned. We have more to come. Big Tech is out of control. If they can silence the sitting president, what can they do to you? The Heritage Foundation has been on the front lines, fighting for free speech. We spotlight Big Tech censorship, demand reform, and help you fight for your rights. Heritage was the first conservative organization to reject Big Tech's money, because this is too important. We won't be silenced. Welcome back everyone for our final segment of the show. One of the things that we're gonna start doing each week is to emphasize some work that people outside DC are doing. People like you. So if you have a story that you want us to feature maybe about yourself, or about one of your friends or about someone you read in the news that is someone who's decided that they're kind of tired about the, the track that America's going on and they've decided to do something themselves in their local government at a city council meeting, a school board meeting, or in their state legislature. In other words, you've taken our advice that even though we're your representatives behind enemy lines in DC, that we really rely on you to take action, please let us know. We wanna feature you in this show. Today, we're going to highlight our partner organization, Heritage Action for America's grassroots efforts in supporting Georgia's big tech reform bill. You see, the way this works is our really smart people at the Heritage Foundation come up with all of the solutions for all of the bad problems in America. Our friends at Heritage Action who work in the same building but have a different mission make sure that they talk to tens of thousands of patriots like you to actually go take action against those issues so that those of us who are working in D.C. are able to tell our elected official friends here, look what's happening in the states. Here's a great success story. Last week, the Georgia House Committee held its first hearing on this big tech reform bill. As you might imagine, some well-funded big tech lobbyists and their sympathizers showed up strong. You see, this is what the left always does, is they try to have this huge show of force. They did this last year when I was in Texas on the election integrity bill. The key thing, if you're showing up to testify on those bills, by the way, is to stay there and go get your friends. This is how you can end up on the show. But back to our Big Tech story. So we're back in Georgia last week, remember? And Big Tech has got their lobbyists, their sympathizers there. It looks like this is just all for naught. That is this reform bill. And what happens? Our friends at Heritage Action sent an action alert to activists across Georgia, urging them to contact their committee members and voice their support for this Big Tech bill. Now, at this point, you might think, this this isn't going to work. You know, these legislators, their staff, they don't respond to emails. They don't respond to phone calls. By the way, always call. It's the most effective way to do it. If you can shut down their phone lines, you're over the target. So we sent out this action alert. And what happens? In less than 24 hours, over 500 grassroots emails and calls were sent to the House Judiciary Committee. 500 in Georgia in less than a day. For a 19-member state legislative committee, 500 emails is almost unprecedented, certainly from our side. And you can see where this story is going. It's going to end up really good. Heritage Action has established an action center for grassroots to engage lawmakers on this bill, submit written testimony, and they're actively working directly with key legislative leaders. So we're gonna continue to work both at the Heritage Foundation and Heritage Action in promoting this reform. It's crucial for the other side to know that even though they are better funded, and they probably always will be, they will always be able to have the fancy lobbyists and the really expensive $10,000 suits, that ultimately we have the most important thing on our side and the truth. So if you happen to be in Georgia watching this, and especially if you happen to be in Georgia watching this, and you were one of the 500 people who responded, thank you. I wanna give the rest of you an understanding of how we take back this country. And it's not just with what we're doing here in DC, but it's what you're doing in your state in concert with what we're doing in DC. Heritage Foundation leading big tech scholar, Kara Frederick was also on the docket to provide expert testimony and support of the bill this month. You see, there's an example of how your activism along with one of our scholars expertise provided a one-two punch. And our support for that big tech bill showed that one-two punch in action Grassroots support plus policy expertise to shape the policy solution that ultimately put American interests ahead of big techs. If our policymakers, to sort of draw a conclusion here, look outside of Washington, D.C., they'll realize a full spectrum of action is necessary to right big techs wrongs. It isn't just federal action. In fact, I would argue, as may not surprise you, it starts in the states. Applying and modernizing antitrust law, scrutinizing big tech's ad tech models, instituting executive accountability, punishing fraud and breaches of conduct. This is how we take back big tech for America. We have to create private rights to enforce consumer rights and protections. This requires a multi-level approach that will secure fair practices and freedom of expression in the digital world. So if we don't do that, Big tech will continue to erode individual liberties. They'll continue to segment the American citizenry. In other words, pitting us versus them, you versus me. And ultimately, not to sound overly historian on you, but I got to say it, they're going to stunt human flourishing. What I mean by that is our liberties are really important. But the reason we have liberty is our founders understood it, as the ancient philosophers understood it is so that we could live in ordered liberty, in peace with one another, to build a society with noble objectives. That is what big tech is getting in the way of. So if in fact, we want to do all of these things for the purposes of having greater self-governance, the ultimate objective of the Heritage Foundation, and I would presume of you, then we have to act now to hold big tech accountable. They are the reason that we're not enjoying this, along with a lot of spending here in DC. Well, I'm going to stop there because I'm sort of getting revved up. We're going to be back next week and the week after that and the week after that, highlighting not only great action here in the the nation's capital, but as you now know, where you are. So if you've got ideas, remember, send them our way. But for now, that's it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Eric Finman, and I want to thank you especially for joining me. And please remember to subscribe to The Kevin Roberts Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please give the show a five-star rating while you're at it and tell a friend. Our movement is for everybody because our solutions are for everybody. The way to ensure that our government lives by the same principles that we do is to make our movement bigger and give it an even louder voice. Take care and I'll see
2: you next week.